Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a Triad production. I'm your host, Dr. Graham Taylor. My guest today is Stephen Hayden. Stephen is the CEO and co-founder of Envision You, a nonprofit that works to improve behavioral health outcomes by addressing the disparity in care that LGBTQ plus individuals encounter. Stephen is a certified LGBTQ plus affirming therapist, mental health first aid instructor, and public speaker on issues related to behavioral health concerns from the perspective of lived experience. Through Envision You, Stephen has helped lead an initiative to implement a multimedia public awareness campaign and no-cost virtual behavioral telehealth services to increase access to LGBTQ-affirming care. We're excited to have Stephen back on our show today. He's with us prior, and today's show is going to be focused on a clinician series where we get to go deeper and take a deeper dive into the techniques and strategies and constructs around LGBTQ-affirming care and the unique ways that Envision You works with those seeking their services through their programs. Stephen, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Graham. It's really a pleasure to be back with you and your listeners. Really nice to have you back. You know, as we start out today, if you would give us an understanding of the challenges around the LGBTQ plus community, and most importantly, as we're setting kind of a foundation here, the importance of and what you mean by affirming care. Thanks, Graham. Yeah, so certainly starting with a framework of, of understanding for our conversation today. So the delivery of affirming and culturally responsive care is important for a variety of identities, including race, ethnicity, religion, sex, and gender. So to your question, what is meant by affirming or culturally relevant care? This is care that considers the impact of an individual's identity on their mental and physical health. Right? It validates their experience, it helps us understand how to work with that experience. It does not view that identity as, as a part of the issue. Why affirming and responsive instead of competent and relative? So from our perspective, competent implies that a provider can truly understand and have knowledge of different identities and their experiences, which are not their own, and that there's a threshold of expertise to achieve. Meanwhile, relevance implies the opportunity to become dismissive. So we really think about that in terms of delivering culturally responsive care to our population. And specifically, as it relates to the challenges of the LGBTQ community, we think about discrimination and violence. Currently, the political climate in the United States includes more than 300 anti-LGBTQ proposed policies this year alone, some of which have passed in their respective states. Additionally, violence towards the LGBTQ community, particularly transgender individuals, remains quite high. As a result, lots of anxiety, fear, and stress can be at the forefront of a LGBTQ person's mental and emotional capacity. Therefore, affirming care is incredibly important so a provider can understand how this stress and anxiety is potentially impacting that individual's physical and mental health, which of course speaks to their overall well-being, Graham. Yeah, it's really good. That's helpful, Stephen. Thanks for anchoring us in that in the affirming care piece, because you're you're talking about ways to intentionally work to understand and empathically in tune to 
the life that one is living such that the help can be shaped around the areas that are most challenging. In fact, as we're talking about some of the presenting issues that folks are kind of seeking help through your programs, in 2021, Envision You, in partnership with Omni Institute, conducted a comprehensive survey that looked at the mental health and well-being of the LGBTQ plus community. Share with us just as we start out today, some of the findings from this research that are relevant and fit in nicely to not just our discussion today, but some of the programs that you guys offer. What were those findings? Yeah, thanks, Graham, for for introducing that, that research. So for us, when looking at how impactful a lack of affirming or culturally responsive care is to a productive provider-client relationship, these statistics provide, I think, really supportive evidence. So in 2021, referencing the the research, 43% of respondents stated that they had either sought help and did not receive it or never asked for help from their providers out of fear of revealing their sexual orientation or gender identity. So, you know, just immediately starting off and not being able to be authentic in that therapeutic space. One of the top reasons listed as a barrier to treatment was the lack of LGBTQ affirming providers. Furthermore, our research showed that respondents that did attempt to seek help and they did not receive it stated that a provider had either invalidated their identity or tried mm-hmm. to change it. And that speaks to conversion therapy, which is outlawed in, in many places in the country for, for children, but not for adults. Um, Also adding just a little more context regarding discrimination and stigma as it relates to other identities. You know, we know that that many folks can feel disempowered in their accessing mental health and, and, and physical health services. So it's really important that we together as mental health professionals in the industry take to heart these, these and other findings from organizations like the Trevor Project to inform our practice in order to, to, in order to deliver better care. You know, what's really cool about that, that survey is that it allows you to do a needs assessment, you know, and then build programs that are specifically addressing those very well articulated areas where there is most concern and where people could benefit most. So let's, let's segue a little bit then. Thanks for the, the kind of summary on the survey being done. Let's talk about the programs that you guys have put into place. And again, what I really would love our listeners to have, I, I, I so want our listeners in these, in these clinician series to understand if they were to come in and be a part of your program or any one of your programs, let's put it that way, and to seek the services here, to be able to know what they're going to be experiencing. Your site is a wonderful site. It's very clear. It's easy to navigate. It's very informative and it's beautiful, but I, I want to them to have, as we talk today, just maybe a little bit more understanding. If they were to come into one of your programs, given some of the needs that they may have, let's give a description of some of these. Let me just kind of name some of them. How to have the talk, cue is for questioning, finding hope, idea initiative, mental health action toolkit. Let's talk about some of these and, and maybe kind of start with how to have the talk. Of course. Yeah. Thanks, Graham. And uh, appreciate the, the feedback, the opportunity to talk about our programming. So first I would say what, what I think it's uh, distinct about our approach to work is 
that we engage the community in, in, in advisory groups to inform all of our programming. And then we work with them to co-create the, the program itself. So once we've identified a need, we work to co-create the program, and then it makes it so much more effective when yeah. we go back and introduce that. So yeah, so how to have the talk. We we all know how important it is to destigmatize conversations about mental health. If you're a friend, a family member to somebody who identifies as LGBTQ, this program allows you to, you know, essentially provides you with talking points to start those conversations and to, to lead someone to an understanding that a person cares about them, is committed to their well-being, is ready and able to walk alongside them as they start to think about what's next for them. The Cues for Questioning program is a program that we're really proud of and, and we think is going to have a significant impact. It was recently launched and, and the, the purpose of it is to support parents and caregivers so they yeah. can create an affirming space at home and school for young people who are struggling with their identity or sexual orientation. We know from research that one trusted, caring adult in a young yeah. person's life significantly decreases the likelihood of substance use, suicide, or self-harming behaviors. That's so good. Yeah. And, and, you know, as we speak about affirming care, one of the things that we know is that because there's that gap in delivering that care, we set up on a, an initiative about two and a half years ago to create an evidence-based comprehensive training program. So our behavioral health training program works with clinicians from around the United States to improve their capacity to deliver that care that I know we're all committed to, but often don't have the skills to do that. Right. You know, Stephen, what I love about this you're describing right now, I love this opportunity to one, destigmatize kind of around how to have the talk. But then you're talking about cues for questioning and you're, you're, you're really helping folks develop the ability to have these conversations in a very important way. I was talking with our CEO earlier today and he was talking about a, a conference that he attended and it was a, a very, very dynamic conference. And he was talking about some of our youth. He said 60% of our youth right now, high school and younger, are involved in some kind of self-harm. And it's, it's easy, we were talking back and forth and we kind of both paused and we were thinking, it's easy to cite these you know statistics. But when you think about that, that is our youth right now. 60% are involved in some kind of self-harm or thinking about doing it. That is an awesome statistic. And I don't mean like really cool, I mean scary reality and profoundly sad. And our conversation went into you know, some of the programs that he's learning about and and we were realizing that these are all secondary and tertiary prevention-based programs, all necessary and all good. But we weren't talking about what's the primary prevention and the primary preventions in the home, because that's where the, a lot of the problems either originate or can be worked through in a very necessary and, and very helpful way, lessening the stress on the secondary and tertiary programs, having to you know do all the bulk of the work, whether it's in the classroom or teachers or some of the programs that you guys have, and they're necessary to have. It doesn't happen in the home. But what if we had more focus, more teaching, more care being described how you do that in the home so that these things get resolved early on? They don't get to the degree you know, of, of pathology that they could be or some of the suffering that people have to go through. So I love this idea that you're focusing on the parents or caregivers. And I like the idea too. It only takes one trusted person to be able to help. I can't remember if it was Winnicott or who it was, but they were talking about parenting. 
And she was saying, you only need to be a good enough parent, not spectacular. Now you have to knock it out of the park, just good enough. That's kind of like a C plus, you know, just good enough in there, consistent. So I love this program and the emphasis on parenting. Thanks, Graham. Yeah. And, and maybe just to add a, another really discouraging statistic is, you know, nearly half of young people in this country have had serious thoughts of killing themselves. And when you think mm -hmm. about rates of suicide that that high, it's breathtaking and it's incredibly sad. You know, as I was growing up in a small Midwestern town, really fortunate to have a family that cared and good schools to attend. And, you know, I, I, it's, it's hard for me to imagine reaching that point at 12, 13, 15, that we've lost hope that a better day is ahead for you. And, you know, I think for all of us, whether you're a parent, an educator, a coach, right. a faith leader, let's be committed to these young people and let's right. be thinking about those preventative measures. So, uh, to your point, Graham, we can prevent them from even having to enter into a mental health setting. Once they do, and, and invariably that happens, of course, is that we are, as mental health therapists, resourced to not only help our patients, but all of the people in their close proximity. Yes, exactly. They have the tools as well to be some. Exactly right. You know, you're talking about the suicide piece. That's the second leading cause of death. Come on the second leading cause of death. And that's actionable. There, there's things to be done, done around that. But so sex, second leading cause of death for those 10 to 10 to 34, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's an incredible statistic as well. And it's preventable. And you're talking about finding one person to be able to talk to. But when we talk about suicide, more times than not, folks don't want to die. They just can't see tolerating the pain anymore. And it's actually used in some ways, we could even say as a coping strategy, I just can't tolerate this anymore. It's just too painful. And they've lost what you just mentioned, hope. Now, segueing this, and you even have a program called Finding Hope. Let's talk about that program. Indeed. And that was the idea behind it is how do we help people find hope so that we can yeah. uh, avoid folks, you know, spiraling to that to that point. And yeah, the idea is how do we create and build on the the importance of mutuality, right? That mutual aid that happens in peer support groups that that we know from 12-step programs and others. And so that was the the idea behind this program. And it's really focused. Uh, on individuals who live in smaller or communities that have okay. much less access to, to care than you would find in an urban center. And sadly, hundreds, if not thousands of counties around the U.S., there isn't one licensed mental health professional available to yeah. provide care. And so let's figure out how to bring people together with shared identities and lived experience to provide that powerful mutual aid at yeah. least great outcomes. You know, as you're, you're saying that, I'm just reminded of how, it kind of goes without saying, but sometimes it's important to say it. Hope is everything. Yeah. What, are, what are we living with if we don't have hope in some ways that things can be better or some things can be integrated, some things can be, you know, fulfilling, et cetera. And without hope, boy, that, that, that gets to be a scary place. Hey, Stephen, as we're talking about this hope idea and uh, the importance of it, Anything for you personally come up? Yeah, Graham, you know, this work is so personal to me because I've struggled myself with my mental health. I've been thankfully in recovery from a substance use disorder for 17 years. And Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, I really feel like I've 
thriving today. And I had reached a point in my early recovery where I didn't think it was possible, frankly. And it led me to a suicide attempt because I had indeed lost hope that I didn't think a better day was ahead, that there weren't resources easily accessible to me. And of course, so grateful that I'm alive here today and get the opportunity to do this work. But I understand what that feeling is like when you mm-hmm. you do that, that scan of your life and, and just feel like, you know, achieving normalcy or, or yeah. some balance and moving away from that chaos didn't feel possible. And so hope is so important. And for mental health professionals, often we hold that for our clients in the early part of our work. And then yeah. how incredibly gratifying is it is it to see where the client starts carrying hope for themselves. And that's yeah. part of the beautiful journey of the work that we get to do. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Are you preparing for a licensure exam in psychology, social work, marriage and family therapy, counseling, or behavioral analysis? AATBS is here to help. We have been supporting behavioral mental health students to prepare for their licensure exams for more than 45 years. Working with over 1 million students to succeed on test day and move on to the next step in their career. With products ranging from comprehensive courses to quiz banks and delivered live online, self-study online, and in print, AATBS has test prep solutions that meet every student's needs and learning styles. Visit us today at aatbs.com. That's aatbs.com. And use promo code BHT15 to save 15% off your next purchase. I like that idea of being the hope carrier for a while until they can hold some of it themselves with us and then take it on their own. May I ask, as you're sharing this very kind of transparently here, what was the it or the person that helped you begin to move towards kind of reclaiming some hope? Yes, it's it's a pivotal moment in my own recovery process, and it's one that really serves as a foundation to all of my work, not only at Envision You, but as a mental health practitioner. And that is this idea of moving away from this consequence-based conversation with our clients, right? So often we focus on all the things that can or will continue to happen if a person continues to use substances or engage in other self-harming behaviors. And it's not to say that we ignore those consequences, right? Those are real. And when we can change the conversation and have that paradigm shift to opportunities versus consequences, it allows people, including myself in my early days of my recovery, to start thinking about what can I do if I'm free of addiction? What are those possibilities for me that lie ahead? And that was so powerful, Graham, to my experience and continues to be in the work that I am so fortunate to do today. I love that. So envisioning kind of a what if or I wonder if, that's all hope-based, isn't it? And we and it's so hard sometimes. We become very myopic in our pain. We become very myopic, maybe in an addiction or 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 in a in an anxious or depressed state. And 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 everything seems so small and dark. But then we start to kind of maybe open up the aperture a wee bit and say, hey, maybe what could be a possibility and how can I start working towards that? Who can I bring into my life? Like you said, that one trusted other, that good enough other that somehow maybe gets to hold that hope when we can't. So I, I, I appreciate you sharing that, Stephen. That's really good. 
You know, as we're talking about hope, you've also got uh, Finding Hope. That's one of the programs. You've also got ID Initiative, IDEA Initiative. Walk us through that one. Of course. So IDEA, for, for many of your listeners or familiar, is inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility. And that's foundational to our work at Envision You and making sure that the programs that we create and how best to engage communities is respectful of everyone in the community, right? I think so often the approach is very much a sort of top-down, we're the subject matter experts and we're bringing a solution into yes. the life or community. And, and through that idea lens, it's really centered on the individual and the community. Tell us what your needs are. Let's look at the research. Let's create evidence-based programs that are gonna lead you to a better place. And so when we can approach our work through that ideal lens, we know a couple of things. One, people feel validated in their identity. They're gonna be supported because these programs are tailored and designed with their unique experiences in mind. And when we ask folks that we partner with to bring those programs back into their communities, they're willing partners in that process rather than us going in, right. knocking on a door and saying, hey, we've got a solution to your problem. Yeah. And understandably, so often folks go, is that our problem? And, and <laughs> who the heck are you? You know, Who gave you permission to come in here and, and yeah. provide a solution for us? So, so we love the approach. We love being in community. We love co-creating our programs with folks who are going to be impacted by them. Nice. As I mentioned at the beginning of our time, you are also a certified mental health first aid instructor. And one of your programs is the Mental Health Action Toolkit. Tell me about that. Yeah, we were very fortunate to work with Viacom at MTV this year to create a mental health action toolkit. And the idea is how to give people both resources and other necessary supports to both engage in conversations, address the stigma that's that's prevalent in, in our community. And it's really all about creating spaces of healing, right? And those spaces of healing don't need to be necessarily a treatment facility or a therapist office. Those places right. of healing can happen at your kitchen table today. Yeah. I I love the the application you have for your programs. These are these are doable some of these early programming and a lot of these things you're talking about, like even like this toolkit, that's a primary prevention. If we can get out in front of some of these things and we can have these conversations and we can have these moments, that space that you're describing creating and fill it with some of these awesome discussions, points and topics to just kind of share back and forth, man, we can help avoid so many things that can go south or come out sideways. In our first show, we were talking about a new program that you have coming out and you guys are making some good headway on it. It's called the You Flourish app. Share with us some of the excitement coming around this app. Indeed, Graham. Yeah, this project's been in the works for the last two years. Again, okay. community, yeah, community informed. A lot of research has, has gone into this. And so the app is going to be focused on supporting the LGBTQ mental health and wellness needs. It'll launch next year, and it's going to offer three feature sets, right? So you'll be able to find through the app uh, vetted and affirming mental health professionals who've been have undergone some screening by by the company. You'll also be able to access wellness content that's created by and for the community. And then lastly, to this conversation we've been having about the importance of peer support, you'll be able to connect with other people who have shared identities and lived experience from across the U.S. 
you know, I think about a conversation that I had with a black transgender woman who lives in a small town in Alabama. She's feeling really disconnected, can't mm -hmm. find the kind of care she needs and doesn't have a supportive community there. By accessing this app, she'll be able to start building a community of other folks from around the country that care and support her well-being. So, you know, we know a lot of uh, digital apps aren't necessarily focused on a person's well-being, and they all serve a purpose, no doubt. But we're excited to be able to bring a tool into our community that's centered around well-being. That's really good. We were talking about hope earlier on, and one of the ways that we begin to lose hope is through just increasing isolation and not having anybody to connect with. And what you're talking about here is what a great way to preempt the loss of hope by providing connection and others that get it and others can be available. Congrats on the app. That's pretty exciting coming out. Thanks, Graham. Yeah, we just finished up our working prototype. We're in the process now of conducting user designed focus groups, and then we'll be engaging with mental health professionals as well to make sure that the solution that we have created is also important and supportive to, to their ability to connect to members of the LGBTQ plus community. Nice. Stephen, let me ask you a couple more questions before we kind of jump down into another area. I also know that in addition to those coming into SEEK services, you guys provide some great training for practitioners as well. And I'm curious if there are any, in addition to trainers, therapists, let's say, those that are going to be providing some of the services around affirming care. Do you have, in addition to that, any parenting courses just focused just for the parents themselves? Yeah, indeed. So we touched briefly on the QS for questioning program. Yeah. That really is the idea behind that is if you are a parent, caregiver, an educator, or a coach Perfect. working with young people, you'll have the ability to learn how to create those meaningful relationships, what resources are available to you. And, you know, I'll say, Graham, I absolutely am convinced that most people, whether it's a parent, an educator, a mental health professional, we're committed to doing the right thing. Agreed. We don't have the information or the resources to do Totally that. agreed. Yes. Yeah. The heart is in the right place. What are some of the things that someone going through training, a professional, let's say, that wants to kind of round out their understanding through going through an affirming care, let's say, workshop or a program for training, what would they be experiencing in that training? You know, as we, we think about going deeper into the idea of affirming care and, and how that impacts you know, sort of the relational aspects of providing therapy to our clients. You know, as an ally, I can say I support you and I don't see your identity as, as abnormal, right? And so it, it gives us the ability in delivering affirming care to go much, much deeper. And so our training is really focused on how to ensure that you have the resources understanding Good. to engage with, with your clients in a, in a significant way. So what we know, studies and reports that have analyzed issues around this, you know, have identified a number of things that our providers who undergo our training are going to take away, right? So improving accessibility and convenience of services, mm -hmm. providing more resources, asking for and utilizing people's correct pronouns, practicing trauma-informed care, mm -hmm. thinking about your physical spaces, right? Are they welcoming to all of your clients? Do you have gender diverse restrooms? Are the magazines and signage in your office 
feel welcoming to all of your patients. So that's important. And then just thinking about caring more about the patient and listening to what they're saying, acceptance of diverse community members, and preparedness to, to provide full aid. You know, there's other things, of course, that I think many people are thinking about is affordability of services, what insurance is being taken. All of those things, no doubt, are an important consideration for clients. Well, in our training, you're going to develop skills that are specifically tailored to both understanding the historical trauma that exists within the LGBTQ community, the ongoing challenges the community has around discrimination, bullying, violence, risk of being terminated simply because of their identity, financial insecurity that exists, and the fact that a significant number of LGBTQ folks are either underinsured or uninsured, further limiting their ability to access care. Very good. That's helpful to understand that. You know, Stephen, in terms of tracking growth, what are some of the markers that you use and what are some of the feedback that you're receiving from those that are becoming part of your program and going through them? Yeah, thanks for the question, Graham. You know, I think about everything from the intake process and the assessments we do for our clients. You know, I've mentioned the importance of physical spaces. I think about also the forms that our clients fill out from, from the beginning. Right. So right. are those inclusive? Do those feel welcoming? Do I, as a transgender person, feel welcome in this setting? So that's all really important. And then, you know, when we look at how do you measure impact, right? Retention is a, is a key part of this, right? Are yeah. you building a meaningful therapeutic relationship yes. where you are partnering with your clients, right? It's person-centered and you're pursuing opportunities and possibilities with your clients that leads them to, to thrive in a way that perhaps they haven't and in a long time. So, you know, those are some of the markers that we see, right? You That's good. Increased engagement, stronger therapeutic alliance, nice. much, much better outcomes. Those are great markers. And it sounds like those are the ones that are going to be meeting the needs that are assessed in the survey that very specifically outlines these are the areas that, that, that need to be paid attention to. You know, as we're, we're kind of winding down today, uh, speak to those listening that might be part of this community, the LGBTQ plus community, and are in need of in some way some mental health issues or some help with the mental health issues or just connection, what advice would you leave them with as we kind of wind down our show for today? Yeah, sadly, mental health issues in the LGBTQ community are quite common. About 50% of our community experiences a mental health issue about 25% struggle with a substance use disorder. And, you know, we have concerns about anxiety, depression, eating disorders, and suicidality. So, you know, we recognize the, the prominence of these issues. And to members of the community, I understand both the challenges in finding and accessing affirming care and just the challenges that that a person encounters on a daily basis when they're experiencing microaggressions, that discrimination and harassment, fear of violence, mm -hmm. right? Those are all incredibly powerful contributors to undermining our mental health. What I will say, Graham, and this goes back to early part of our conversation, that there is hope. There are people that care about members of the community. There are people working every single day to create communities that are safer and welcoming to members of the LGBTQ 
plus community. So despite some of the headlines that we're seeing in magazines and newspapers and television broadcasts, right. um, the reality is, is most people are committed to the well-being of our community. You're not alone. And there's people out there that care about you. Yeah, great message. I would love folks to know how they can get in touch with you and envision you. Give us some resources. Indeed. So we'd love for folks to visit our website at envision-you.org. You can also follow along and learn more about the smartphone yeah. app Flourish by going to uyou-flourish.com. So those are two great places. Of course, encourage folks to follow us along on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. You can follow along, find resources and content, learn more about our programs, including behavioral health provider training program in those places. And then we have a lot of resources on our site. As yeah, well. you do. And yeah, happy is well brand to be a resource for reach out and tech me. Fantastic. Well, Stephen, thanks so much for what you're doing. It's great to have you on the show today and uh, look forward to having you back sometime in the near future. Great. Thanks so much, Graham. Really a pleasure to join you today. Really a pleasure to be with you again. I also want to thank you, our listeners, for joining Stephen and me today. It's always nice to have you with us. I want to remind you that today's episode and its resources, as well as all of our other shows, can be found on our webpage at triadhq.com slash BHT. So check out our webpage, triadhq.com slash BHT, and explore our archive of podcasts and resource materials. Thanks again for being with us on the show, and we'll look forward to having you back with us next time on Behavior Health Today. We appreciate all the support from our community. And if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.